Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, I had the rare opportunity to talk with Philip Leach, who was a wartime navigator at the Royal Air Force and served on Bristol Bowfighters with Number 489 New Zealand Squadron. This was recorded via Skype from Philip's home in Manchester, England. My thanks to Philip's son, David Leach, for setting up this interview. Here's Philip. To start off with, uh, I'll ask your full name. Uh, it's Philip with two L's, Philip Winfield Leach, L with two E's. Okay, yep, yep. And your, do you remember your service number? Oh, um, I think it was 151516, I'm not sure. Okay. And I, and I, had, I had two service numbers, one as a... A, an oak, I mean, a, um, and then one became, when I became an officer, so I got a different number, I think, as an officer. Oh, right, okay. So what what rank did you get to? What was your highest rank? A flight lieutenant. Okay. That, that <coughs> flight lieutenant was the normal, if you served 18 months as an officer, you yep. became a flight lieutenant. You went, right, right. You went flying off to the... Oh, um, no, you went, um, what was the first one? Flying uh, pi- a pilot, pilot officer first and then flying officer. officer uh, flying officer and, and then uh, flight lieutenant. Right. So, what was your date of birth and your place of birth? Uh, 6, 10, 22. Okay. Where, whereabouts were you born? In Belper in Derbyshire. Okay. Uh, did you grow up there? Uh, I grew up in Derby, actually. My um, uh, my father was my father worked for Stretton Derby Brewery all his life. <laughs> okay. Did you see much in the way of aviation when you were growing up? Any aeroplanes or? I was always interested in in aviation. I I, I made model aircraft. Um, of the First World War when I was growing up. Um, I made them from scratch, not from kits. Made them from balsa and, uh, and in intricate detail. Right. Well, I'm very sorry in a way that I, they all broke up in the end because I, uh, I won prizes with them, I think. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. And then I always wanted to... I wanted to glide. I got interested in gliding, and I read books about it. And uh, when I was 16, I was intending to join the um, Derby and Lakes Gliding Club up in North Derbyshire. Uh, but of course, the war came, so I had to wait until after the war in '46 when I joined the club, even before they had an aircraft to fly. Right. 
So what were you doing when the war broke out? What, what, were your, what are your memories? I was a civil servant in income tax, actually. Oh, okay. Um, I went back to the income tax after the war, um, decided to uh, <coughs> to try and... Uh, was, that was general grade civil service. I wanted to get higher. I tried to be... I <coughs> tried exams to be a ta- uh, taxi inspector, um, but I didn't quite make it. Uh, so I took an exam and I got in the customs excise as a as an excise officer. Okay. Uh, and I, I had about <coughs> how many years of that? Um, anyway, I didn't I didn't like the customs excise. I didn't like their their ethics somehow, um, and uh, I felt and I I had a failed love affair, and um, that decided me to get out. I had a bit of money in the bank. So I um, I applied and um, got it. Uh, got in St Andrews University and Dundee to, to um, do medicine. Oh right! Wow, that's, that's a big, big change. change. I got in on the strength of my higher school certificates in 1939. Wow. Okay. So when the when the war broke out, were you still at school then? No, I was. I was in the um, in, in the tax office. Right, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I went in at sixteen, so I went in at. Uh, well, I suppose I. I think I went in October. Uh, no, it should be nineteen nineteen thirty eight, wouldn't it? So, <coughs> so I right. I, I think sometime in 1939, I think, I went into civil service in the tax Okay. Um, and, um, and then I served in there until I was called up in, in uh, 1941. Um, right. That, that was when I got the notice. They didn't actually call me up until they caught, they called me up. I'd say I'd be 18 in, in um, 1940, end yep. of 1940. So I was called up more or less that, but I didn't go in until late in 1941. Okay. Now, had you already volunteered for the Air Force then? Or? Well, when, when you went in, um, they you had an option of, of the uh, Army, Air Force or Navy. And I, I wanted to be a pilot, so I, well, I, it, I opted for the RAF, and I had a medical and passed that, and uh, they obviously so they accepted me, but uh, <coughs> but they didn't accept me as a pilot. Um, they, I had a very aggressive interview actually, very interesting, um, who uh, battered me with questions about how sort of active I'd been and and he obviously thought I was well I had I'd I'd passed in pure and applied maths in my exams so I think I was they they 
um, chose me as a navigator because uh, right. But uh, I, I think they got enough pilots, and uh, <laughs> so I got chosen chosen as a navigator. Right, right. So where did you actually join, and you know where did you do your basic uh, uh, intake? Well, I went first to London. Okay. And uh, for three weeks, we sort of marched around London doing sort of basic induction into the services, you know, marching and things like that. And then we went down to Babacombe near Torquay for, now uh, what was that, IT initial training unit. So that, so that would have been all your... Uh... Uh, learning this, the, the ways of the service and, and drill and that sort of thing, I guess. Yes, <coughs> we did yep. that to begin with in London and a bit in uh, the, <coughs> the one in Torquay was I think more introduction to the Air Force. Okay, okay. And, and so, how, so you were there for six weeks uh, near Torquay yes. and where did you, where did you go to next? Uh, I went to uh, Canada for for navigation training. Um, in in November '42, I yep. I think I went to Canada to do have navigation training. I, right. I, I went to Eaton Park near Manchester and waited in in huts for um, for about three weeks before we got on. A boat over. We went over on the Queen Elizabeth and we came back on the Queen Mary. Oh, right. Well, what was that like? Because they were very famous ships. They, they were the... They, they travelled over at high speed in zigzags. Going over, we lived on the fat of the land. And they, um, it was all American Russians and uh, we only had two meals a day, but uh, I was one of the ones in the galley serving them um, <coughs> and the ship was uh, well I think we only had about 1500 or 2000 on coming back the following um, May uh, there were about 20,000 or more American troops as well as a thousand of uh, Thousand uh, officers and uh, and uh, RF other p- personnel. Right. Okay. So, uh, how long were you in Canada for? Um, well, from November uh, to uh, May, I went to Hamilton, Ontario, uh, for the navigation training all the way through the winter. Um, and then we went on to Prince Edward Island um, to do a, a coastal reconnaissance course for sort of four, well, I think it was four or six weeks. Okay. And, and then we came home via New York. So what were you flying there at uh, Prince Edward Island? Was was that Anson's or...? Uh, Anson's, Anson's then. Right. Yeah, Anson's boat place. And did you uh, did you find it came to you easily? Was it an, was it uh, something that you could do quite easily? Uh, the navigation were, were you good at it? Uh, reasonably, I think yes, yes. It's uh, <clears throat> I can remember 
we had, uh, I remember one trip where we had to do astro-navigation, um, flying a triangular course at night for in two hours. And I still think that is the hardest work I ever did in my life. Wow. You, you know, you astro-navigation, you've got to take sights on three stars, um, look look them up in your book and get a get a bearing from each one and then yep, put, yep. put that on your map but then you've got uh, but then you've got to calculate 10 minutes to, uh, ahead while you work all this out to to where you change course so if you don't do the thing in time you've not not got to the right place at the right time. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think anyone ever did it in actual practice, but it, uh, it was an exercise in, in rapid, rapid thinking. And, and so anyway, I, I remember that experience. Right, right. How, how did you find Canada? What was that like after being in England? Uh, uh, Yes, it uh, well. It was, of course, it was cold all the time. We um, temperatures. They flew. They had vast snow plows on the runways, so uh, it was snowbound half the time. But we still flew. Um, okay. And uh, the people were very, very friendly. We, uh, as it said, oh, I, I, well, I, I did get. See very much, although I did, I did see Niagara from the from the air. Yeah. And on your course, was it all uh, was it all British navigators, or or, or did you have uh, pretty well? It was just a, a parcel of uh, uh, I don't know how many. Uh, they were all from Britain. Yeah. Right. So you all went over together, trained together, and came back together, sort of thing, as a course. Yeah. yeah. Oh right. Okay, and so once you came back from Canada, you you said you came back uh, on the uh, Queen Mary. Where did you go when you arrived back in Britain? Yes, I went on. A, I went on another course in in Squaresgate, Blackpool, also okay. on coastal reconnaissance. I think we, I think the the, the the RAF didn't know what to do with us though. <laughs> That's the usual thing, isn't it? But but somehow, some, somewhere or other, I think after that, I did go on a 14-week a course at Cranwell on a, on a radio trans, on a <coughs> wireless. So I had to learn to be a wireless operator. Right. And so again, it... it uh, and I think it must. I think that it must have been when I, when I went to Cosby at the OTU you near know, Carlisle. Oh yeah, Cosby. Yep. I think Cosby or Crosby near Carlisle. That was a, a bowfighter training unit. Now, right. So was was that a specifically uh, coastal command OTU then? Um, well, I'm not quite sure when when uh, I was chosen for that 
but I think there was um, there was a shortage. Both fighter needed a navigation uh, wireless operator, and so uh, they they uh, so they obviously <coughs> it was obviously all coastal command, but yes. they um, but they had too many men or something. So that, I mean, that, that's what it appears to be. Looking back on it, that that we went from course to course, but but the right. but they're obviously wanting navigator wireless operators uh, <clears throat> at that time, uh, so I had to go on the wireless course as well. So yep. after the yep. navigation and. And so you you were going on to bow fighters. Um, I guess that's probably why they sent you on the wireless course because yeah. the navigator the yeah. navigator did the wireless stuff, didn't they? Yeah, yes. I think that that must have been the intention. Right. <clears throat> and so after that, after that, I must have gone up, up to the OTU, but yeah. we only stayed there maybe only <clears throat> a day. I don't know. And then I think we were. Uh, I got a posting to to four eight nine squadron. Okay. So I did, um, I did the OTU on squadron. Really. Oh right. And I wow. I, I was very I was very fortunate on that because uh, when we arrived at Crosby, I remember we saw one plane going up in flames. You know, we, we just drove into the place and there was a great crash. Um, <coughs> smoke coming up from a... The bow fighter was very difficult to land. Well, if if you tried to... If you landed too slowly, um, it stalled and spun on the approach. Oh, OK. So, fortunately, I got a pilot on the squadron, Pete Brampton, Who'd done a, a tour already, and he he specialised in an approach of sort of going down steeply and then levelling off at the last moment. He never. Oh, right. He never did a slow approach. Okay, and so um, you say that he'd already done a tour. Was he just starting a new tour when when you crewed up with him? Uh, well, we went to the squadron, <coughs> and then. And then more or less had to crew up with the. Uh, so we, we were joining a, a group of pilots who'd been flying Hamdens with three crews. Right. And they all needed navigator wireless operators. Oh, I see. Because because on their crew before they were separate. They were a navigator or a wireless operator, and they needed somebody that was uh, trained up in both. Well, Hamden had a pilot. Navigator, wireless operator, and our gunner would it be perhaps? Yeah, I think it is. Yep, and and they would have been separate people, whereas yeah. you were trained in both. So so you took well, over the, the role. Well, the had you know, had two, so we were yeah. a navigator, wireless operator, but we had a Lewis gun as well, which I only fired once in anger, and then it jumped. Oh, oh really? <laughs> Oh dear. So when you arrived there, uh, were there still Hamdens around? Uh, did they still have them there, or had they all gone and there was all bow fighters? Um, 
That, no, they're all bow fighters. It was the, oh, yeah. it was the fresh, uh, fresh squadron of bow fighters. They were the right. So, so they were all new aircraft that had just been re-equipped when you arrived. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All oh, right. <clears throat> See, it would four eight nine had a hub, was a Hamden squadron, obviously. Yeah. I think, um, but they had to. Uh, I don't know whether some of the navigators would come over, but we we seemed to be a group of navigators who went to join the pilots. Right. Um, so what did you think of the Bowfighter? What, what was your initial impression and, and your impression of it now? Oh, um, I think it's a, a very, very sturdy, very uh, good aircraft. It, it, um, the Bristol engines, they were, sounded very good. Yeah, it, right. it's, they were given, it, 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 it had that problem of stalling if, if you're too slow, but uh, otherwise, um, say that there, <clears throat> I think they had a lot of accidents on training, but, uh, right. but on the but uh, if the pilot was well, he had, he had to be <clears throat> good and and. Um, an experience in the bowfighter, they couldn't, you couldn't treat it lightly. Right. And uh, in your role, uh, you're the navigator, you're the wireless operator, and as you said, you've got a gun as well. But did you also have radar? Did you have to operate a radar? We had a, um, yeah, we had a G. It was G for navigation, a kind of radar, yes. Yes. Yeah. You get two or three uh, beams uh, that would cut a, cut across your graph. Yeah. Um, you get a, a, a bearing on the. So you, you could get a position. The th trouble is, the further you were away, the more diffuse the position would be to be elongated. Right. But it wasn't. Uh, it, it was quite easy. To, I, I can't remember a lot of it now, but it was reasonably easy to manage. So. Right. So how much time, between you arriving on the squadron and your first operation, did you have much training uh, together with your pilot? Uh, did you do a lot of training flights? or? Yeah, yes. We, um, I don't... I, I can't really remember how. Um, I know I, I started my tour in January um, 44. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't really remember. I think I think we must have arrived at at Lucas. There, there it was, Lucas in Scotland. Um, we must have arrived a month or so before and done general training. Okay. I, I can't really remember much about that. Um, as I know we started, I think the first operation was in January 44, over to Norway. Well, okay, so tell me about that first operation. Um, well, it, it um, we flew, 
well, it, it was a, a sort of typical one, I think. Uh, we've, it, it's 400 miles, more or less, and we took off and, um, and immediately, more or less, went down to sea level, about 20, right. 20 feet above the waves. We flew, that, that, that was a squadron, in a, there were about 10 aircraft. Uh, each, each operation at that time was, I th think, about 10 aircraft. Okay. It, uh, and we flew heading towards the one spot on the, uh, one, one, one uh, bow fighter out to lead. So we're going over, we all followed. <coughs> um, and so you didn't have to do any particular navigation. Uh, right. It's just that when you, <coughs> if you made an attack, well, when you were coming home, <coughs> you came came home separately. Ah, oh, right. Yep. Had to find it, but we. Uh, I, I know that that occasion we we got to. Uh, there's two places on the Norwegian coast where the shipping has to come out into the open sea, and not shelter behind the fjords, and one is down near Stavanger. <clears throat> and the other is up near, um, what's the name of the place, anyway, about <clears throat> another hundred miles north. Um, and I remember on that occasion we, well, it's arrived directly on the, on the convoy. Um, I, <clears throat> I realised that I realised long after, I mean, more or less in recent times, that what we were aiming for was the um, uh, uranium from, there was that heavy water plant in Norway. Right. And, and we were aiming at convoys. I mean, this is what I deduced. I did, nobody told us at the time. We just, yeah. we're going to attack shipping. But it, with the shipping down from, from the... Um, the plant that the Germans were trying to manufacture uh, <clears throat> an atomic bomb and they were right. shipping all, all down the coast to Germany I think yes um, so we <clears throat> we had uh, talking about that occasion we, when we got in sight of the convoy the whole squadron it might have been Two squadrons. I do. Uh, we we flew alongside um, the fourth, which is it, four five, four five five Australian squadron. Oh yes, yes. yep. Um, and so we we flew in. Uh, we, we, they were the um, uh, anti-flak uh, bow fighters. They just they go went down on the ships, on the flagships, with, <coughs> <coughs> with, with four cannons. Okay. And so to, to and uh, we were the torpedo squadron, so we, uh, <coughs> they went, they, they climbed up and we stayed down and the pilot tried to get within 
range of the of a ship, dropped his torpedo, and then we immediately peeled off and went home as fast as we could. Right. So uh, tell me about the torpedo. Who who was the person? Was it the pilot or the navigator that did the, no, the, the dropping? No, the, the pilot did. The pilot dropped it. He he got. To, <coughs> he was completely in charge once we got down because <coughs> he could see where it was going. Okay, and how reliable were the torpedoes? Did they normally work perfectly? Or? Yes, I think they did. Yeah, yes. I've never heard anyone sort of complain. Although we 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 very rarely got a, a sort of confirmed sighting of an explosion. Yeah. I don't know what inf what other information came through the any other sources, but. Uh, so, so um, when you're dropping the torpedo, what was the what was the height? And also, I guess you were on a straight level run, weren't you? Yeah, <coughs> you you had to you had to be go low. Um, I suppose really, I think it must have been twenty to fifty feet. It must have been fifty feet. So you got to be dropped pretty low, and and, yeah. and uh, if the pilot can get within. <clears throat> um, well, it, the nearer he gets, the, the more accurate it will be. But it, it, I think it'll probably go up to a thousand yards, but he won't want to get closer than that. Right. But I'm not sure wow. of the actual figures. Right. And um, so when you come in and load, just about to release the torpedo, are you under the guns or are they actually... Are they able to still fire on you from the ship? Oh, they'll be firing. <coughs> they'll be firing from quite a way out, actually. Uh, okay. <coughs> I don't. I don't think we we were ever actually hit by any fire. Okay. I mean, we, were, uh, not that first raid. I don't. I think. <coughs> Again, I can't really remember whether um, later on we flew we flew in a wing with with four squadrons, um, a Canadian squadron, an Australian squadron, um, a British squadron, uh, and um, and uh, four eight nine. Right. So there might have been, but I can't. <coughs> I know we started off in Lucas, uh, after a few months we went down to Langham in Norfolk and we flew out off, over to the Dutch coast and I think there we had the four squadron and then we went up to Dalaki in, in Scotland, North Scotland and, um, and we, we've, there, there was a, a Dalaki wing there, there's a there's a sign up to it now um, of the four squadrons attacking shipping in Norway, and that went on to the end of the war. But, um, did did you feel very safe when you've got a a lot of squadrons around you? Did did it feel like you guys were quite well, formidable? It, or it's a a bigger um, yeah yeah. 
this, but towards the more aircraft small. But of course, it it would only be a selection from each squadron, really. I think. Ah, and, right. <coughs> I think we used it. We usually flew about ten aircraft, so there'd be ten torpedoes. Yep. And if the more flak uh, aircraft, anti-flak bow fighters we could get, the better. Uh, okay. When you go in on that torpedo attack. Um, could you, as the navigator, could you see it all happening? Were you, uh, was it, you know, in your visual sight, or did you just have to sort of wait and hope? I can only see, I can see directly ahead, um, but only sort of over the top of the the pilot's cabin. Right. And I can see, I can see ahead and any anywhere ahead, but not down ahead. Gotcha. Gotcha. I've actually uh, had the privilege of climbing up into the back of one of the bow fighters. Uh, there's one in Australia at Moorabbin. Oh, yeah. And uh, in that cabin where you were in the back there, I just found it really, really unergonomic. Une uh, it just didn't seem like it would have been a good place to be, you know, for four hours or, or whatever in a flight. Um, because even just on the ground, it just didn't seem particularly comfortable. How, how did you find it? Did you... Did you find that it was cramped and I mean you couldn't really stand up and it was You couldn't stand no, you couldn't stand up, you were sitting all the time. Mm. Um but, but you got sitting with your table in front of you and on the radio. Um and uh, and that was uh, you couldn't move around at all, no. So you you wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have needed to get up and and go to the gun at the back. Uh, or... Well, the, the gun was sort of sitting that you you could turn round and the gun was, uh, was on the side of the canop uh, of the canopy. Um, ah, right. So you okay. could you could fire you while you were sitting. You only had to turn round. You didn't. Right, so so you didn't find it too uh, too uncomfortable after a four-hour flight. It was okay. No, no, I didn't. No, no, I, I can't complain. <laughs> I mean, I didn't expect to be comfortable, but it was uh, right. there was no real objection to it. it you just had to sit there. The only <clears throat> the only sag was if if you had to bail out, you really had to. The only way you could really do it was to climb over the back of your seat and go down the ladder that you come up, that you climb up on. Right, yeah. Because if you piled out of the canopy you'd be you'd hit the tail as you went out. Ah, right. Yeah, that's a good point. And that that's uh that's the the bit that I found the worst is getting up and down that ladder. It wasn't easy. Um I guess if you're doing it all the time every day then you probably got used to it, but it just didn't seem very well designed, I thought. Not very well designed. Uh, well, how can you how can you design it? I don't, I don't know. You you've got to get a lot into a small space. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the pilot is fairly, and he's <coughs> he's fairly sort of tucked in, um, but he's he's. <coughs> 
he's got a problem of bailing out as well. He he should climb over the the back of the seat and go down the, the ladder. But uh, uh, <coughs> I met I met the squadron leader uh, after the war who. Um, whose navigator was my best friend, um, yep. Freddie Ellis Spink. And um, I, I, I saw <coughs> their plane uh, be shot down. Well, I, I, <coughs> I, saw, I, saw the, I saw a parachute coming out of the plane. Um, and so I knew that they had been shot, they'd been uh, damaged. Well, the plane was going down, um, so yep. I assumed I assumed it would be Freddie, that uh, my friend, because the pilot has great difficulty getting it out. But I met the pilot after the war, at the end of the war. I think when I was in London. Uh, and um, he, his story was was uh, <coughs> was absolutely fantastic. He, the the plane was on the engine was on fire. One engine was on fire. Yeah. And uh, so he he leaned away from that fire and out of the opposite window, and, and somehow or other he was sucked out. Now the, oh wow! The, you remember where the engines are and where the propellers are, but anyway, he he went out and he he was he, he was saved. There was poor Freddie in the back. Uh, I can't remember the name of the pilot now. He he was British, not New Zealand. Um, right. I can't remember his name, but he said. He didn't hear anything from Freddy when he told him to bail out because the engine was on fire, <coughs> and he didn't get any reply. Oh, so wow. it could be that he was shot, killed in the whatever hit them. Uh, but uh, the 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 fact that he how he managed to get out of a small window with a parachute on. Um, yeah. And then anyway, he, he, he was, I, I've never heard, he should have told that story somewhere, but I don't know. Yeah. It just seems incredible that he didn't uh, hit the prop or, or, or the engine or, um, yeah, that's amazing. I suppose the, the prop is in front, so once he got out, he'd be, he'd be sucked back. So did you have any uh, really scary moments yourself? Like, uh, you know, did you take any flack or uh, anything like that? I think I was lucky. I can't remember any, any really frightening moments. Um, so I suppose you. So I say I don't think, I don't think we ever were hit by any uh, anti-aircraft fire or 
so not not even damaged. Wow. Well, that sounds very lucky. But uh, it, it used to vary a lot. With um, I think I think once or twice um, we went out with forty aircraft, and all of them came back. Oh, all right. Um, but um, I think we had another one with 20 aircraft and, and four were lost. And we did... Uh, I had two two good friends, uh, uh, say, Freddie Spink, and um, the thing is, I can't remember the name of the other, uh, but he was killed also. And I saw him... I saw him go down. The, the the plane just went below us, uh, lower and lower and lower, and then suddenly disappeared in the water. Uh, wow. So if it was, I don't think they were ditching. They were, they've probably they're both been killed or something because it's it didn't didn't ditch. Well, it just disappeared. But it was flying lower, 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 lower onto the water, and then it, then it disappeared. Right. It hit the water again, straight in. <clears throat> so, uh, I guess you must have been on the squadron uh, during D-Day, were you? Uh, D-Day. Uh, <clears throat> I was. I was on holiday in Clavelli in Devon on D-Day. Oh, okay. That with my friend Alice Pink, we we didn't know anything about D-Day at all. We we had a few days leave, um, and we travelled by in the middle of war in England. We travelled by train and bus, etc., from um, Langham in Norfolk to Cleverley in Devon. Uh, uh, it'd be a very difficult journey these days, but we had a holiday there, um, and um, and it's while we were there that we heard the news of D-Day. Wow! So it, it we 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 had nothing to do with it at all. No. Were you really disappointed that you'd missed the the invasion, or, or were you happy to be out of it? No, I mean we we welcomed it, but it. Uh, um, but they they kept it very very secret even from the the rest of the the, the services there. Right, right. Did you ever uh, come across or or see any U-boats? Would you have ever attacked U-boats if you'd seen any? Oh, U-boats. Yeah. Mm. No, we didn't. <coughs> no, well. Um, we didn't have anything to do with U-boats because we're, that that was all out in the Atlantic. So we were we were coastal. Um, we we were designed for sort of attacking coastal shipping. So we're, right. it was either the shipping routes down the Norway coast or the shipping route. Down the Dutch coast, that right, was right. the that was the nearest. I mean, there we 
<clears throat> when we went to Norway, we didn't know whether we were going to encounter any shipping. But then it takes so long to go down there that it, it, it would be out in the... Uh, there was a better chance of pick, going on spec to Norway, although it was a long way to go. Um, but, but obviously, um, the Norway route was was very important in '44 because they're worried about the atomic threat. Uh, but it, we did we we had a spell in Langham. We were uh, going across with sort of 40 aircraft and just miles an hour, and then you you'd be. And you'd know whether the shipping was there, so because there'd been uh, observ observ observing planes, so we knew whether we were, we were going to go to attack a convoy. Right. <coughs> and we did. We did have one trip where we, uh, I think, the, all four squadrons went uh, and attacked the port of Den Helder. In, uh, but we attacked it from the, the, it, it Helder is is on a well. If you look on the map, um, it, it there's a string of islands, and then there's a the sea goes in behind these islands, um, and Den Helder is on the, the. I don't know how I can put it. Um, do you, do you know Holland? It's it, it's really an inlet. Yes. So yep. what what we did, we flew in through a a, a gap in the islands, um, oh, right. going going um, east more or less, uh, and then turned and flew down behind the islands to where Den Helder was. Then we attacked the the. Uh, <coughs> Our job, my, my pilot's job, was to use cannon and, and uh, d uh, attack barges in the port. So oh, right. we dived down on these barges, um, firing the cannon, and then it just went straight ahead over the town and out to the open sea, the, 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 west, the west coast of, Scotland, of, of Holland. So okay. we'd gone in behind, and we had uh, that was the, <coughs> and we had uh, anti-aircraft shells bursting around us. But but that was <coughs> that was a very uh, there were <coughs> a lot of planes down then. I don't know. It it's, it was uh, there's, there's guns. Things flashing all the way around and planes go coming down in flames and uh, that. But right. but again we didn't we didn't uh, uh, get any. I think we were the wrong. That the main anti-aircraft fire was was a bit to one side of us and we were lucky. I suppose. Yeah. That must have been. Uh... You know, a, quite a thing to go in low over a town so heavily defended, a, a port defended like that. Where, I mean, uh, d would you have preferred to have been attacking the ships than than that port? 
Oh, 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 well, no, because I mean, the, the firepower of the, of the antique, the anti-aircraft ships was pretty, could be pretty terrific. So right. it, it's, it, um, so it was no no big difference then uh, between. No, it, it's uh, you you had to you had to we're attacking close to all the time, but it depends yep. on how many aircraft and and how uh, how much you could overwhelm the uh, the, the flagships. When you went in on the torpedo run. Uh, and the pilot's about to release the torpedo. Was he also firing the cannons to no, you know, no, strafe? No, no, he just it well simply uh, uh, firing, simply firing the torpedo. It's, it, okay. it was a pure sort of torpedo run at low level, um, straight onto the ship. Uh, right. And um, the the um, anti-flight. Both fighters were coming in, sort of coming diving from a thousand feet or so on the flagships. Right, and and with the with your bow fighters, there must have been a, a some sort of risk of uh, enemy fighters intercepting you. Oh, so were you guys? Oh, yeah, we we were you also trained in uh, in air to air fighting with with the German fighters. Um, well, when when we when we flew to Norway, we had to fly low level all the way because yep. uh, say we were <coughs> more often than not but we were attacking ships off Stavanger. Now Stavanger had an aerodrome with FW190s, fighter fighter, yep. so we just couldn't. We had to get in and out before the radar picked us up um, because the FW-190s would have been absolute mayhem if they got uh, far uh, shot up the whole lot um, and they, they, we, always, we always heard that the, uh, the Germans sent their uh, fighter pilots when they needed a rest they sent them off to Stavanger <laughs> So oh, they, wow. <laughs> because it, it was a nice, safe posting that they weren't going to. We could we couldn't fight them back because right. we, uh, uh, So we, we just had to keep out of, and we did. Generally speaking, we went sort of in and out before the radar would pick us up. Okay. Okay. Were there any sort of uh, tactics employed to try and split up the convoys when you were attacking them, or was it just try and hit them? These these were con these were supply ships, and there'd be about um, sort of four or five mer uh, merchant ships in the in the middle of it, surrounded by the the, the flagships. So they keep in that formation, and they repel us by by fire. So you're attacking a sort of an organized convoy, wasn't um, they they were only afraid uh, well we, we could only attack them with cannon or or uh, drop or torpedoes. 
best right. attack was the torpedo, I think. But that did depend on accuracy. Right, right. So I guess all of your flying was done by day. Did you ever do any night flying for any reason, or was it all by day? Um, pretty well by day. Uh, we did we did have one or two solitary flights at night, um, and I was never exactly sure what we were going for. We just we had orders to go out and and patrol and and um, presumably I can't really remember what what it was for, but we go out in the North Sea and look around for presumably some kind of shipping movements that we, right. didn't, we didn't find anything. Okay. Um, what was it like working with the Kiwis? Coming from being British and from an RAF training scheme, when you joined the Kiwi squadron, uh, were, were they any different or, or were they just like the rest of RAF? Um, no, um, I, I I really I can't re- remember any new any Kiwis. I can't remember uh, towards the towards the end. I had two Australian friends from the the, the four five five or whatever it was Australian squadron. Uh, we yep. used to go around together um, when I'd lost my other two friends, uh, but I don't. I don't know how many, there probably weren't many New Zealanders. Well, I'd say even if my pilot wasn't the squadron leader, the British, I can. Um, and um, so it, it, it uh, I, I, that's the trouble, I can't really remember. What I do remember is that when we had the four squadrons, the, the, di- the difference between the nationalities. The, um, the Australians were sort of tall and lean and hawk-like. The New Zealanders were the same. Uh, yep. The Canadians were a bit wilder and, and different. And the British were absolutely... Uh, uh, a, a, a peculiar collection of different different kinds of faces and things. <laughs> so that was just a general impression. So when you when you were with the uh, the four squadrons together, you were all on the same uh, airfield. You all lived together. Yeah. Yes. We we operated together. Yes. So when we got to Dulwich here, that was the third. The last place they were, in. Um, they called it the Dalekey Wing, and, and it was right. a, a a sort of wing of of uh, bow fighters. It, it incorporated a few mos I mean a mosquito squadron later on. I know they went on to mosquitoes uh, in March '45, I think. Um, Although not, right. although not for torpedoes, but the, uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, the wing in so, so it was it was operating as a as a large, uh, not just by uh, by the squadron at all. Right. Now you mentioned that the mosquitoes took over, and uh, they they use rockets rather than torpedoes. 
Uh, did you ever use rockets on the on the bow fighters? No, 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 um, no. Idea. <coughs> the only uh, the, f- the four cannons was the standard armament, and uh, yep. uh, I don't think rockets were <coughs> sort of in then, were they? Forty-four, forty-five. Uh, they they were the uh, typhoons and and uh, some of the other aircraft were using them and I know the mosquitoes that took over in uh, four eight nine squadron they they went on to use rockets against the ships but uh, uh, I, I I haven't I haven't heard of I wasn't sure if the bow fighters had also used the rockets so they they just stuck to the torpedoes I guess well <coughs> uh, well. Uh, a torpedo aircraft is a torpedo aircraft that uh, yeah. wouldn't normally have, well, any other different armament. It, it, I think that you, you could, you, uh, you've got to concentrate on the torpedo. It's a, it's a different, uh, different technique and uh, uh, you couldn't combine rockets with torpedoes, no. Right, right. So, tell me about life on the on the station uh, at at uh, Delaki. Um, you know, what was the food like? What was the accommodation like? Things like that. Oh, very, very good on the whole. Very straightforward. I, I think we we all, we're always comfortable and um, um, well. I mean, the usual meal we had before we flew was sort of um, sausage, bacon, uh, be- baked beans, and and bacon. I mean, that kind of uh, sort of stodgy breakfast. But uh, uh, it, it, we all I was, there was no well. We we're fed as well as. Anyone could be at the uh, at, during the war. Nothing right. very special. But uh, were you living in barracks or were you in this in huts or? Um... Um, we had we had huts in the Dalaki. Um, yep. At uh, at Lucas, I think it was an officer's mess. I mean, uh, uh, I think. Uh, uh, Pre-war building, I think more or less like like hotel accommodation. We usually had uh, we usually had our own. Well, there we had our own. I can remember having my own room with a um, with a wife as a as a order, sort of helping and and as a, uh, as, what do you call it? It's, uh, a, a Batman. No, oh, no. I mean, she made the bed and came in and and got right. made the, did, did uh, well. Like a maid. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Did you did you have to do things like parades and and drill and all that sort of thing while you're on the squadron, or was it much more relaxed? Was there PT and oh, stuff like that? <coughs> it was relaxed, really. Yeah. Right. We had very little. Um, of uh, formal, uh, well, I, I did. 
I think I did. I do remember leading leading one church parade at Lucas. Okay. Uh, that for some reason or other, I was uh, the, I was given the job. So uh, we marched down the road. With, I was leading, and <laughs> uh, I don't know why and what what that was, because we don't usually have any formality. Um, but there were, there could always be some jobs you could be given as an officer. But uh, right. Uh, what about the recreational side? Uh, you know, on your time off, uh, was there? Did you, you know, uh, drink in the officers' mess, or did, yeah, was there a local uh, pub? Or yeah, well, um, the, I, I can't, I can't remember a lot of. Uh, well, I didn't drink much in those days. I, uh, um, I had the occasional beer and and. Uh, uh, <coughs> I think we we might. I don't know whether we ever had wine, for instance, but probably we did on a if we had a formal dinner. But on right. the whole, um, there wasn't a lot of of drinking or roistering. I mean, the, the, there were times when uh, there'd be a, a bit of a wild. Uh, Charging around the mess and, and um, uh, singing rude songs, etc. Um, <laughs> uh, but but I can't remember it being uh, very uh, very excessive. Right. Uh, and uh, say the the two the two Australian. Uh, the two Australians I used to go around and we uh, they used to go to church but I think occasionally I went to church with them but not, right. not um, they were very but uh, um, I mean those leaping over furniture and, and uh, but uh, never anything sort of Breaking up, but yeah. And, and did you was there like a local pub next to the station at Delaki or um, or at? Uh, no, we did, we didn't have a local pub. Uh, any any place, it's uh, because there's <clears throat> there's no um, local town or well, Lucas is a local, but it's fairly local to the aerodrome was it but no, we didn't go out on the town much um okay i <clears throat> i did play tennis i can remember the uh but i can't uh, uh, i cannot remember exactly where so we must have had a <clears throat> tennis courts and uh just trying to think whether I did anything else. I, I remember some things and I'm beginning to forget a lot of others. Well, that's totally understandable after all this time. It's a long time ago. Yeah. 
Did the squadron have any mascots or any pets? Um, Do you remember? No, no, I can't. I can't think of any. No. Okay. Well, was there um, when you were on the wing uh, with the other squadrons? Was there any sort of uh, rivalry? Were you uh, competing against the other squadrons to get more ships or anything like that? Was there like a friendly rivalry? No, no, I don't think that. that we we just all work together and. Uh, right. Yep. There's no real rivalry, no. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, do you remember the? Um, I, I think during your time there were two different uh, commanding officers. Uh, one of them, Wing Commander Robertson, and the other, uh, Derek Hammond, Wing Commander Derek Hammond. Do you remember them at all? No, no, I don't know. Oh, yeah. they they would be head of the wing. Yes. That, um, okay. That's obviously. Um, and and so, what, when did you come to an end on? Uh, on four eight nine, what what month did you finish at four eight nine squadron? <clears throat> um, I ended my tour on, in March forty five. Um, so I started January. The tour was supposed to be um, fifty flights or or uh, eighteen months. Uh, okay, but we finished and. 39 flights and um, and 15 months. Uh, mainly, I think, because my pilot was on his second tour. And the, anyway, the war was sort of beginning to look as though it was coming to an end. Um, right. So uh, my pilot would get out early and, uh, and I was fortunate. I, I was... I've been lucky all my life in a way, <laughs> it's just, uh, except recently. Uh, but um, as I was lucky that uh, I got with a good pilot, and and he was um, he would end his tour a little bit early. Yeah, well, that is yeah, that is lucky. So where where did you go to from there? Did you uh, get out, or or did you go to a? No, again. Again, I was fortunate um, because uh, one trouble with air crew when they came towards the end of their uh, flying time is that they very often ended up in some kind of ground job, usually dull and boring, and, and, and because uh, it wasn't time to demob them. But I got a job um, in Anglesey. Um, fly on air sea rescue. We flew from Valley in Anglesey, which is on the west northwest coast, and out right. out into the Irish Sea. Um, okay. Um, we're supposed to be. Oh, well, we did one trip a day to look for anyone who needed a rescue. I think it was six. The few months I was there, uh, we picked top one dead body and that was all but all right. every day we had a, a flight there were sea, ot sea otters we were flying do you know oh, yeah, sea yeah. otter yeah it's like the walrus but uh, the next development wasn't it it's a uh, amphibian and we did yeah. we did circuits and bumps on Menai Straits in, in North Wales I mean, uh, so it, 
it was a very nice experience that I developed my shoulder muscles because we we had to start the engine by uh, there was there was a pilot and a um, and me as a navigator and um, we had a an air gunner well we had one extra lad who was yep. more or less I suppose he would have been the air gunner if the you know defensive but uh, he was just to help if necessary right. Oh, so um, uh, we uh, we had to start the engine by winding a hand a, a flywheel. Oh yes, yep. The two of you on this big handle, um, winding gradually, getting the engine, the flywheel more, more and more faster and faster, and then you shout shout out contact to the pilot, as I think. And they let the clutch in, and it started the the prop. Uh, wow! <laughs> and uh, and then we we we, we practiced um, uh, sort of rapid takeoffs. I think we we managed to get off the ground in two and a half minutes or something. Uh, sort of whole fighter pilot thing. Running. Well, we're sitting on the on the tarmac and then always oh, sitting and then we'd dash to the plane and leap on the wing and start the, the flywheel and then get the engine started you know, jump in and we sort of got off in two and a half minutes so. wow that's impressive that's very impressive yeah and then then we'd fly out over the somebody flew every day just out to out to dublin and back just to to be available, if that, but of course that this was in. Well, I was there on V, v Day. Um, oh yeah. And uh, I remember driving, going, that, taking a, a tractor around the air, the airfield. Um, as we we had a well, we had tractors, and and uh, so I. Jumped on one and went away around the airfield. So they might be day. <laughs> That's brilliant. But but then when um, when that job folded towards the end of '45, I uh, also no, I don't. Uh, they closed it down. And I then got a job of, with my pilot, of ferrying these um, sea otters um, from Northern Ireland, uh, where the, there was there was a lot of sea otters who needed taking down to do reading to be disposed of. Okay. So my pilot and myself got a, a really cushy job of. Um, taking the train and boat over to Northern Ireland, um, picking up a sea otter, flying it down to Reading, um, then then going home for a few days, and then coming going back again to Northern Ireland for another one. So we sort of right. flew about one a week. Um, so we had, we had leave all the time, all the time in between. 
Um, oh, that's brilliant. So, and then, then I got a job in London as an um, air ministry courier, um, uh, taking secret documents around the country. For well, somebody went over to well in a little office below Westminster Abbey. Uh, I can't find oh, yeah. it now. It was a, a, a sunken office, and emergency couriers are taking. It's, it, an officer has to take personally the. Uh, somebody took the the the, the 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 orders of the day to to. Um, uh, the radar radar place in um, in the West Country somewhere. Sorry, I can't. I, I've forgotten. The, I mean, I've just forgotten the name. Um, uh, we went by road for that, but somebody flew to had a <coughs> flight in uh, Douglas, Dakota, to to uh, to Germany. Uh, where was that? that and um, that they were the naval papers of the day, I think, that we were taking. Right. So, so and you had, a, you had a night in Brussels then, but I only did that once. It, it, uh, there were about, I suppose, about half a dozen of us in this office. Uh, so, it, so I had a few months in London in '46 before. I was eventually demobbed. I mean, they're, they're very slow in in demobbing people, really. It's, right, right. But uh, but I was doing a a job. That, uh, well, just a couple of questions uh, going back that have that have uh, come to me. When you were in the Sea Otters. With the daily patrol, would you still fly if it was raining or if it was bad weather? Oh, uh, no, uh, no particular. Uh, uh, we wouldn't, we we wouldn't have gone out in bad weather because uh, uh, there was no indication that we were needed, really needed at all. It was just right. A, it did become a sort of routine at that time. Um, it, okay, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why they carried it on, but it's just things that no nobody sort of wanted to um, to close it down. It's the end of the war, and, and uh, everything was going. It, there's an awful lot of waste in wartime, as you can imagine, and uh, yeah. some something is set up. So. Uh, yeah. Another question I have um, with the bow fighters: Did any of the aircraft ever uh, get nose art or nicknames painted onto the aircraft? No, no, not as I know of. No. no. Right. <coughs> okay. Um, and you uh, you mentioned that you had gone to university to study medicine, and you obviously uh, became a doctor after the war. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I qualified in 1960, so it's 54 when I gave up my 
customer's exercise <coughs> job. Um, yep. And I went for actually six years, it was then, um, and qualified in, in 1960. And then went to America for a year's pre-registration training and then came back to England and um, had a year in hospital and a year training as a GP and uh, I've been I was a GP in Warrington from then on. Okay. Fine. Oh, <coughs> uh, yeah, I, <coughs> I told you earlier on, in 46, as soon as the war finished, I, I joined the Derby and Lakes Gliding Club. And, right. Um, and I, uh, I did... Uh, I did 6,000 flights and 600 hours of, of uh, uh, gliding. So I became, oh, wow. a, became an instructor and, uh, and uh, <clears throat> Do you still do any now or, or have you uh, given it up? I carried on uh, when I took up medicine. I, um, I couldn't. Uh, well, I I did it. I did uh, gliding courses for the club uh, when yeah. I was when I on my vacations um, for fi on fifty five and and fifty six and uh, and I I stayed flying when I could for uh, a year a year or two, but I I I forget exactly when I finally packed it in but it was probably when I had a family in in uh, right. uh, I got married in 59 and, and had a family from 63 onwards so so I couldn't do much then right right okay um so just to, to sort of um, wind this up, I mean this has been fantastic and I really appreciate it I've learned I've learned Sorry, I'm so incoherent. Oh, no, no, you haven't been at all. It's been been great. But uh, I was just going to say, do you think the legacy of Coastal Command has been um, somewhat forgotten compared with Fighter Command and Bomber Command? Um, well, I, no, I, it's, it's the sort of proportion of each, I think, the Right. But, I mean, the losses in Bomber Command were so great, I, I can't blame. And the losses in Fighter Command. And, so, that, that, I suppose Coastal Command was very important, but it only as uh, not, not as much as Bomber and Fighter, no. Right. I don't think right. they've been slighted. Yeah. Okay, well. Thank you very much again. I really, really appreciate this. It's been fantastic. Oh, okay. It's nice to, nice to hear from you. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. 